Hi there, Steve Kaufman here, and today I want to talk about something very important, and that is that language learning is not that complicated. The reason I want to talk about that is because I was going through my library here uh, in the section where I have books on language acquisition, language learning, many of which I bought 20 years ago when we were getting started with Link, and I was reading up on the subject and attending conferences and so forth. And I went back through some of these books, and I realized just how complicated the sort of language acquisition academics make the subject of language learning. It's really not that complicated. And so I wanted to go through with you some of the books that I have and some of the concepts that appear in these books, you know, Learned Book Second Language Acquisition, Rod Alice Vocabulary, Description Acquisition, Pedagogy, Learning Vocabulary in Another Language, Vocabulary in Language Teaching, uh, you know, Applied Linguistics. Uh, I mean, there's lots, okay? I even have a Swedish one, this broke. I mean, I used to, wherever I was, I would go into a bookstore and, and see what there was on the subject. And it, it, they make it so complex because what the language acquisition experts, with the exception of Stephen Krashen, what they try to do is describe, it's as if language learning is a motion picture and they are going to describe it frame by frame, uh, or e even not a motion picture, but an animated cartoon where every little step, every little possibility is explained, whereas actually it's a very simple, natural phenomenon. It's the process of acquiring new language habits largely through a lot of listening and reading. And the kind, for example, uh, I don't want to pick on this one because this Rod Ellis second language acquisition is in many ways the best of all these books because it's short and sweet. Not as good as Krashen, who has a number of very short books explaining language acquisition, but some of the things he refers to here, and I jotted some of them down so that I could more easily go through them. So, uh, first of all, he goes to great lengths to explain that the order of acquisition depends on the learner's native language. Again, that's obvious. If you don't have articles in your own language, articles in English or in languages which have articles are going to be more difficult to learn. Uh, if you don't have plurals in your own language, plurals which would be absolutely easy for someone who speaks a language that has plurals, it, that's going to be a lot more difficult to get right each time if you're not used to the idea that every plural noun ha, you know, might have to add an S or do something that indicates that it's plural. So it's an obvious thing. Uh, again, he goes into all the different kinds of contexts that influence how a learner learns, the linguistic context, the situational context, the psycholinguistic context, the form-function mappings, fossilization, all of these things that affect how s the process whereby a learner learns. But it doesn't influence how the learner learns. The learner still has to learn the same way, through massive input, through massive listening and reading. talks about learner language and the properties of learner language and how, again, you know, the forms of the, the kinds of errors the learner makes are influenced by all of these things. Um, then he talks about 
you know, social distance. And he gives an example of, of a, perhaps I think it was a Japanese person learning English. And the teacher made reference to Bart Simpson of the Simpsons. And she didn't know what that was. And that then created a social distance for her between the language she was learning English and, you know, not feeling part of that culture. Well, of course, that's always a part of language acquisition. You're acquiring a language that's initially quite distant, eventually gets closer as you get closer to the language. And as you engage with content, cultural aspects of that language, it becomes less and less distant. But along the way, there are going to be things that remind you that you're trying to get into this other culture. Talks about different discourse rules that, uh, you know, in American society, if, if someone makes a compliment, then the response is quite a lengthy one. Oh, you have a nice shirt. You're supposed to, according to him, you're supposed to say, well, you know, I've gotten my mother gave it to me or some lengthy explanation. Whereas I'm not sure that's always the case. The danger when you try to make generalizations is, in fact, very often, that's not the case. And if someone says to me, you've got a nice shirt, I say, thanks. I don't get into a lengthy explanation of where I got the shirt. Terms like speech acts and speech events. Then they get into this whole critical period hypothesis that we are best able to learn languages when we're young before the age of 10 or 12, which is true because the brain has not yet coalesced and, and, and kind of hardened, if you want, around the native language, and we could just as easily learn any language, and later on it's a little more difficult. But then again, there's not much we can do with that. If I'm a 20-year-old learning a language, whatever are the conditions that affect a 20-year-old, that's going to affect me. It's not that useful to me as a language learner to know that I should have learned the language, that language at age 8. Uh, he even goes on in Alice's book, he says, you know, integrative motivation. He says, for example, uh, English Canadians learning French are very motivated to learn French because they want to integrate into the French society. Well, that's absolutely not the case. Most English Canadians learning French are not at all motivated to learn French. Some are, and those that are, they learn, but others learn it as a subject uh, that has to be learned, just like uh, is the case, I think, with uh, language learners in many countries. It's a subject they're not necessarily that interested in learning. Those that are motivated do learn. Uh, it talks about negotiating meaning, all these terms. Uh, so uh, that's Alice. So I, I gave him particular uh, attention here. But, you know, again, I've sort of dog-eared some pages. So here he talks about, uh, you know, it's important to allow uh, students to select books themselves. Well, yes. There you go. That's a good thing to say. Um, you know, things that affect the ability to learn a word, what makes it difficult. Uh, how it's spelt. Yes, if you're learning Spanish and uh, there's a one-to-one -one relationship between how it's spelt and how it's pronounced, uh, that's going to be a lot easier than if you're learning English, not to mention uh, Arabic. Length, longer words are more difficult. You know, four or five chapters and why it's harder to learn those words. Uh, all of these things that are re relatively obvious. You know, if learners do not know a word, they must discover its meaning by <clears throat> guessing from their structural knowledge of the language, guessing from an LI, L1 cognate, guessing from context. Well, they don't necessarily have to guess. I don't guess. If I'm reading online, I just look it up. And uh, I know full well that looking it up, I won't remember a, a, that word. If I'm on lake, of course, the blue word becomes yellow. 
the next time I see it, I'll know that I've seen that word before, but I'll look it up again and again and again, and gradually those words become known. So some of this uh, material is sort of predates the advent of the internet. Paul Nation is an expert on language and particularly vocabulary acquisition. When, uh, so noticing involves decontextualization. Decontextualization occurs when learners give attention to a language item as a part of the language rather than as part of a sentence, or excuse me, part of a, of a message. I don't know that I deliberately decontextualize. If I see a word in different contexts, eventually the sense of that word grows on me. While listening or reading, a learner notices that a word is new or thinks, I've seen that word before, or thinks, that word is used differently from the ways I've seen it used before. First of all, if you're not on a system like Link, you may not even know that you've seen that word before. Learners ne negotiate the meaning of a word with each other. Well, that's, a, again, on the assumption, as is often the case with people who talk about language acquisition, um, the assumption is that people are sitting in a classroom. Creative or generative use. A third major process that may lead to a word being remembered is generation. Increasing number of studies that show that Generative processing uh, is an important factor. Generative processing occurs when previously met words are subsequently met or used in ways that differ from the previous meeting with the word. Yeah, that's something that occurs naturally as you read more and more. The more you read, the more you listen, the more you encounter words in different contexts, the more this kind of generative processing takes place. He also recommends spending time on words. Yeah, the more time you spend on one word, the less time you have to spend on acquiring more words and exposing yourself to more of the language. That, again, can be a function of what you like to do and how you like to learn. Here is, again, Norbert Schmidt, who is an expert on acquiring vocabulary. Again, he points out, the majority of words do not have a one-to-one -one relationship with a single referent. Yeah, words don't just mean one thing. Words can mean a variety of things. But here again, a natural process of massive input, massive reading and listening, encountering words in different contexts, gradually help you sort of fill out the full scope of the meaning of words. It talks about word associations that we would learn the word needle and then typically associated with thread or pins or sharp or so. Sure, these are things that happen naturally. I'm not sure much is gained by sort of explaining, uh, what does he say here? The other, some explicit learning is probably necessary to reach a vocabulary size threshold that enables incidental learning from reading. Uh, my experience is that for the longest time, there continue to be so many unknown words that it's unpleasant to rely totally on the ability to infer, and I prefer uh, learning a link, looking up every word, putting it in my database, coming across it again, and then eventually seeing it become part of my at least passive vocabulary, which is the first step towards making it part of your active vocabulary. So I'm not going to go through all of these. I've got applied linguistics here, uh, you know, how languages are learned, language teaching methodology, but it is full of this effort to complicate something that is essentially quite straightforward. And I would refer everyone to Stephen Krashen. 
Uh, I don't have to agree with everything Stephen Krashen says. Uh, he obviously is much more expert than I am. I draw on my own experience. He draws on research. But essentially, uh, it's a process of, uh, and I would encourage everyone, in fact, I will leave a link to Stephen Krashen's website, uh, the natural learning approach, the um, input hypothesis, uh, a number of you know, very clear and simple explanations of how we learn which basically comes down to lots of listening and reading. And when you have acquired a certain vocabulary, uh, then you start speaking with more and more confidence. The greater your uh, comprehension ability, the greater your vocabulary, the more confident you feel when speaking. And if you are more confident, you will speak better and everything will gradually improve. It's that simple. It's not more complicated than that. And we like to think that at Link we facilitate this process of learning through massive input by providing sort of training wheels initially with uh, easier content, like our many stories, where there's a lot of repetition, and then the ability to expand into more and more difficult content, content that's of greater interest. And as long as you keep doing that, you are going to gradually learn the language. The emphasis is on the word gradually. And those people who are motivated enough to learn on their own uh, and who feel confident enough, which isn't everyone, to go out there and learn on their own and choose content of their own to listen to and aren't necessarily waiting for a teacher to spoon feed them, those people are going to learn better with or without. That's not to say that a teacher can't be helpful. A teacher can be a tremendous source of encouragement and stimulus and advice but uh, there are many things that as learners we can do to supplement and complement what the teacher can provide us with or just to go out and fend for ourselves and gradually develop uh, you know, an ability and an understanding of languages that are of interest to us. So thank you. I just kind of felt that when I was looking through my library. I said, wow, it's that complicated? I don't think so. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye for now.